Hey y'all, this is a podcast that explores eudaimonia. Euda what? Eudaimonia is an ancient word that describes the state of your own personal flourishing. I'm your host, Emily Geiser, and I started this podcast to remind each of us just how much agency we have in our own flourishing. I hope you'll listen with a beginner's mind and walk away with new ideas and inspiration so that you feel not just fine, but radiant and energized. And hey, if you are feeling exhausted, there are a couple of things you can do right now so that you feel better tomorrow. Grab my three secrets to end exhaustion. These are the ones no one's telling you on my website, emilygeiser.com and look forward to more joy and less overwhelm soon. You can grab that at emilygeiser.com, E-M-I-L-Y-G-E-I-Z-E-R.com. Link is in the show notes. Welcome everyone. I am really excited to introduce my friend and my coach, Rebecca Bromberg. She is a mind-body healing coach and recovering perfectionist. She helps professionals and entrepreneurs transform from running on fumes in survival mode to thriving with calm confidence. She is the founder of Finishing School, which I'm really happy to be part of. She describes us as a thriving community of high-performing professionals learning to heal and rewire their unconscious minds so they can thrive on purpose in life and business. She is also the founder of Soul Clarity, where she has provided mindfulness integrated programs for community nonprofits and community-minded for-profits. Rebecca is trained in mindfulness-based somatic healing and has had a steady mindfulness practice for over 20 years. I am so excited to learn more about all of this, including your mindfulness practice for over 20 years. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Emily. I am really delighted to be here and really uh, privileged just to get to be with you on your own healing and expansion trajectory right? It's just, it's an honor and it's a delight to watch you grow. So I'm so happy to be here in this capacity too. Thank you. Thank you. It's going to be fun to bring your gifts out to the world through this. Um, I'm excited. You described yourself as a recovering perfectionist. So I'd love to hear in your words, like what, what did that look like to be a perfectionist? How did you know you were a perfectionist and what's it like to be recovering? Oh, I love those questions. Um, well, I have a background in ballet. I don't know if you even know that, but I trained in ballet heavily for my whole, like from age four through my mid twenties. And, um, it was really when I returned to ballet after having done a lot of yoga that I realized that I could do ballet differently. And I think the way I approached ballet was the way I approached everything, which was, it must be perfect or it's not good enough. And so don't bother trying, right? And the relaxed effort, sort of like the non-attachment we even talked about, about the quality of the internet connection today. It's like, we're just going to take a light attachment to it. I realized when I returned to ballet with more of a mindful practice that I was like giving birth to every plie, <laughs> like, ooh, like just bearing down on everything so intensely um, where I could just hold it, everything I do more lightly with more of a mindfulness practice that gave me permission to make mistakes. And that gave me permission to just be human wherever I went. Um, and you know, human humanity and imperfection, they just kind of go together and accepting that about myself and giving me permission to be imperfect felt really good. It feels so good. And you're bringing that to so many people now, just acceptance of not being perfect. 
it's kind of um it sounds so basic but it's such a it's like mind-blowing yeah the way perfectionism i wouldn't have normally described myself as a perfectionist in the past but i can see little ways that that creeps in and in subtle places it's sneaky Mm -hmm. exactly yeah there's so many reasons we don't take action that will improve our lives and a lot of it is because we're afraid that we will fail. We're afraid that we will uh, do it imperfectly. And, and the consequences of that, when we understand what our fears are and how young they are, um, it's it's incredibly valuable to just really get curious about the, the reasons we don't take action. Um, and perfectionism is a big thread. And the, the simple stuff, you know, isn't easy, right? There's a lot of healing underneath that one word. It's an umbrella for a lifetime of self-judgment, right? And that takes rewiring and that takes slow, slow rewiring for sure. It's interesting because I, you know, I think about a lot of my peers would just define themselves as perfectionists. And I think with some amount of pride, because they feel like, I get shit done and I do it really good. Yeah. And what you're kind of saying is, but you actually aren't getting as much shit done as you could if you weren't a perfectionist. Is that what you're saying? Amen. Yeah. Well, good. yes, I think that perfectionism, it keeps us from expressing who we really are and it keeps us from taking risks that would make whatever we're doing even better, right? So we've had a few like forest for trees moments in, in your development and other people's too, where it's like, I thought I was really getting a lot done and doing high quality work, but I was, I was like in the kiddie pool doing the same thing over and over instead of graduating to the ocean, right? Where it's a little scarier. And so you got to get your swim muscles up for that. And part of that is being more okay with rejection and being more okay with being seen and being visible. And, and those risks that come with expressing a new side of yourself. Like I have chills when I think about that because it it's, it's socially very risky. And um, I think it requires us to release control. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think um, if, if we are less, controlling of how we're perceived or more likely to be willing to mess it up and take some risks that are really juicy and bring us to new levels and just surprise ourselves. That's the most fun. I didn't know I was going to create finishing school before I created it. I was like, I don't know how this is going to go and I'm going to do it. That was really my journey with it. And if I, and if I had been more of a perfectionist, I promise you, I wouldn't have even tried it. What I, one of the things I love about finishing school, there's several, and I hope we get to talk about them all, but one of them is recognizing, discovering the blocks that aren't, that are getting in the way of us moving forward. Um, and so I'm curious from you, you aren't a therapist. You make that very clear. You have such a different angle on things. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the difference between therapy and what you do, but, and also like, where do these blocks come from? Does everybody have blocks? that's preventing them from moving forward. Can you speak a little bit about those? Sure. Um, what I'll start with, like what's different and we can try to put a pin in the other questions. <laughs> I, I asked like that. three questions in one, but yeah. <laughs> I've tracked on two that I can remember. <laughs> my little, little like holiday brain. Um, so yeah, very different than therapy. I, I, quali I characterize what I do as almost everything but the therapy, everything your therapist wishes you were doing in terms of getting good skills uh, with respect to emotional regulation and working with inner child parts, but also like 
rewiring your unconscious like beliefs that are under the hood of the 90% of our thinking that's unconscious. And that's something that I have a really refined skill set on that works with the body. So most therapy, the majority of therapy out there is talk therapy, and that gets to the 10% of what's conscious. And then I have all these skills that I give to my clients because I just want them to all leave with these skills where they can bring their emotional regulation down, meaning feeling better in the moment, not feeling anxious, finding overthinking, tracking on it, getting to the root of it, healing what's underneath it all. Um, and then also setting goals, taking action. So that's the other piece of my work is creating a, a body-mind system that feels safe, taking those risks, getting out into the ocean, you know, like, like we start with swimmies and then we take those off and we go a little further each time, like all of that. Um, and that really dovetails into the next part of your question is, does everybody have a block? Let's say, let's put it this way. The question I would ask to anybody listening would be, do you think that you were capable of making like a reliable map of meaning of the world between ages of zero and seven? Like, no. <laughs> and that's when we're we're creating our primary beliefs about our world, uh, how worthy we are, uh, our capability, our safety. Like if anything happened in our childhood with, again, everybody's imperfect. So our parents are imperfect. So if anything gets miswired, we deserve space to rewire it when we're older. So an example might be, um, like the one that I use a lot is, let's say you fall and scrape your knee and you come up to mom and you ask for a hug, right? But at that moment that you're feeling so vulnerable and you reach your arms out, the stove sets on fire and she has to turn her back on you because there's an emergency, right? And so in that moment, you might have a belief of, I'm not always supported when I need it. And if that doesn't get revisited, then we see the world in that limited worldview. Or if we got criticized by a perfectionist parent, you know, it, then it's not safe to take risks. It's not, it's gotta be perfect or I will be criticized and that will live with us and limit and hem our lives in until we re revisit it. So does every single person need it? I don't know, but most of us do. Most of us need some measure of taking a new look at the original software that we were installed with between zero and seven when we were in a theta hypnotizable brainwave state and doing an upgrade. Everybody deserves space to upgrade their beliefs to better align with who they want to become. I would argue, even if you had a completely picture perfect childhood, it you still didn't get the experiences that you as your adult and growing and dynamic self needs. Everybody needs space to revisit some belief. And that's what I do. So that's it's different than therapy because it's, sort of the cleanup work, right? Like therapy is about functioning, like getting to getting to work, being able to, you know, just be able to contribute to society in a reasonable way. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. But then what? How do we function with optimal joy, with optimal clarity, with optimal creativity, with optimal fulfillment and self-expression, right? Like higher up Maslow's hierarchy is really where I want to uh, support people in, in getting. So I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, I um, I appreciate all that. And I think that the, the point of what I'm aware of is that the word healing is very much around these days. I feel like 
everybody's talking about healing, at least in my circles, in my feed. Um, And it took me a while to understand. It's just like it's it's blown up in the past few years. And so a couple of years ago, I wasn't clear on what healing work was. And I certainly didn't feel like I needed healing work. I didn't have a picture perfect childhood, but I also didn't feel like I'd had trauma. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, And what you have helped me see and what I've learned since then in studying healing is that it's less about the event that happens and more about how we respond to the event. And like you're talking about when you're zero to seven, like the way we respond is so much more primal than Mm. now how we might respond to an event, right? If, if you need somebody and they're busy, you're just like, Oh, they're busy. But when you're three and you need your mom and she is busy, it's a different, we, we may um, integrate that differently. Yeah. And so we're, it's impossible for us to understand in that age range, zero to seven, we think everything is about us. And we all know adult people who still think that. And sometimes we, like when our young self is driving the bus, we take everything really personally. And afterwards you're like, oh, oops, I got a little hijacked there. But that deserves compassion too, right? We all require um, a second look at that, at that conditioning. So what is, what is healing? Um, I think it's unlearning. I think it's unlearning what we learned in that hypnotizable state between zero and seven. It's unlearning, it's deconditioning. Um, and we're really getting whatever is in the way of us expressing our full authentic self. We're just getting it out of the way. And so it's really more about removing than adding anything. Um, it's not a kumbaya moment of, you know, it's not, I don't think it's just going to do ayahuasca and coming back fixed, right? It's slow, steady, chipping away at the little things that keep us from optimal joy. So yeah, you can have, um, a, you know, a no ACE scores, no adverse childhood experiences and still need this kind of work. So yeah. to me, a sign that you, you, who's whoever's listening with that one might need healing is if you feel distracted and incapable of connecting to the present moment. And so whatever is in the way of you and being present deserves care, support, attention, love, and connection. Like that's the biggest thing that I want to bring home to anybody listening is that we're not supposed to do this stuff alone because most of what needs healing happened in a channel of connection. The reason we're perfectionists is because we're worried about other people. Like the other, the, our perception of other people is what needs repair a lot of the time, just as an example. Hey, are you a label reader? I think you'll love my easy button here for the skincare industry. Labels can be so confusing. It's confusing in food, but it's also really confusing with our soap and shampoo and lotion and eye cream. The truth is that we saturate our body in hundreds of ingredients every day, and most have not been tested for safety. It just boggles my mind. The skincare industry just has a lack of oversight, and so there's less regulation and then less transparency. So when it comes to skincare in particular, my favorite company is Beauty Counter. I've been using their products since 2014. That's also when I joined as a consultant. I'm an OG. So if you're ready to make the switch to clean beauty, and this is like really high performing clean beauty, I highly encourage you to shop Beauty Counter. 
The website is beautycounter.com backslash Emily Geyser. That's E-M-I-L-Y-G-E-I-Z-E-R. And there's a link and discount code in the show notes. I think it's so brilliant that you chose to bring your work together into a group setting like this. And you might remember I had a lot of hesitation to a group setting. It wasn't where I thought my optimal healing would happen. I had a whole and group full. I had a whole group full of people who felt that way. Yes. <laughs> and it's profoundly effective. It's so incredible. Um, it's it's incredible the people that you have pulled together, number one. Mm. So so beautiful. And the power of processing and learning and integrating in community is like beyond anything I understood. So I'm mm. curious when you, you know, you've been a coach for a while, but what, what made you know to do it in a group setting? What made you trust that. that instinct? It was an instinct. I mean, you know, this brings in a little bit of human design and I'll keep it light because I know that's not really the focus here, but in human design, I'm a manifester and I get urges. And the more that I tried to hem the urge off and the more that I was advised against it, the more that I just knew I had to do it. And it wasn't because I had resistance. It was just like, it felt like a true instinct. And so I had no idea. I just knew I had to do it. And I think I've always been a gatherer. My name in Hebrew means shepherd's rope. I'm a natural connector. Um, but when I learned about, I, I think if there was anything that that had sort of purchased for that instinct, like where it was fertile, fertile soil for me, was understanding the concept of co-regulation which is that we need one another's nervous systems sometimes to return to who we are. Um, you know, I always say like wounds made in relationship can't be healed in isolation. And while like a therapist client relationship has some value, a lot of our wounding happens because of some sort of feeling of belonging or not belonging. I was one of four kids. I was a middle kid. I can tell you about not feeling like I belonged and my family loves me, but that was my early life experience was not feeling that way. And that's what matters. Like you said about, it's not what happens, it's how we perceive it and how it's either repaired or not repaired within our body mind system. I'll stop there. I could keep going, but I feel like I'm about to go down a bunny trail. I love your bunny trails. Um, <laughs> you mentioned how it shows up in the body. So I know that's a big piece of the work you do. And yeah. I'd love for you to incorporate that because to me, this is a big part of what makes it different than therapy is it's not, yeah. it's not just talking. In fact, it's hardly talking. Mm -hmm. um, so share a little bit about the somatic piece. Yeah. So somatic means soma, like it, it refers to the wisdom and intelligence that is held in the body. The body is the gateway to the unconscious. And that's where our beliefs live. Our limiting beliefs live in the body. Um, that's where our emotions happen. It's also where our nervous system is. And there's an interplay between our emotions and our nervous system. And so when you think of anxiety as an emotion, it's also a rapid heart rate that is uh, evidence of the sympathetic nervous system being more active. And so when you understand the dials on your, ner your nervous system control panel, there are ways for you to settle yourself before you even do any of the healing work, because we can't really do all of the healing work when we're in that elevated stressed state, we first have to get into a place of physical safety. Um, and so that's really 
under it's so empowering to know how to bring yourself back into a space where you're able to think uh, effectively with the prefrontal cortex online and connect socially. It's a state of the nervous system called the ventral vagal parasympathetic nervous system. It's a real mouthful, but learning it is so empowering and valuable. There are ways to work with the body and mind and the breath to return, but also train ourselves to be more in ventral vagal more of the time. That's called resourcing. And that's a, a technique that I teach. And when we can become more resourced and more ventral vagal more of the time by working with the resources that are in the body, um, then when life knocks us sideways, because that's inevitable, that's the nature of being a living creature. We're just, it's dynamic. We're going to go, you know, get set off course more than we're on course. When that happens, we have more resilience to be able to return. So it's really an interplay between body and mind and, and spirit and psyche. We're just learning how to um, find a place to keep coming back. Um, to our whole selves, to our most balanced nervous system state, and to our most balanced emotional state. Not favoring that state of, of mind and body, but just having it be an anchor to return to. Totally. And these words might make people glaze over. And I'm just listening to you feeling like I can feel, I can like palpably feel that feeling in my body because I've, my body has learned so much in working through finishing school about yeah nervous system regulation and and how much more present i mean talking about like feeling present how much more present i can be to everything all the time when i can when i'm in touch with my nervous system so mm -hmm. i'm really curious about you know as we our minds tend to like get into an autopilot and a pattern of thinking oh, yeah. it does also our nervous system without any interruption just be in a autopilot pattern of maybe high anxiety or low absolutely energy yeah. so if you think about it like when you drive you're not relearning to drive every time when you get on a bike you're not relearning so your autonomic nervous system handles a lot of that as i recall there's a at least there's a part of our nervous system that handles our repetitive things that we do all of the time okay but then there are so i call it somatic habits like, so we can have a somatic habit. Like I have friends who, who shared with me, you know, I wake up anxious. And one of them said, you know, I learned your breath technique and I wake up anxious, but I do the long exhale and I am able to settle myself. And I'm like, awesome. Right. That's worth the price of admission. All the training that I've done to know that that happens for people is so wonderful. But then it's like, okay, let's get underneath what, like what's driving that habit and how do we reinstall a new habit? So yes, the body, absolutely. It returns to its homeostasis, right? Like it's the nature of our systems of any system to return to its balance point. Even if that balance point is an anxious or depressed nervous system and a set of crappy beliefs, that's our set point. And that's why we've got to slowly repair because those patterns took a long time to develop, right? And so they take a long time to unwind in a safe and sustainable way. That's why things like an ayahuasca journey, it's helpful for some insight, but it takes, you know, I have a, a couple of friends who who do things like that. I've never, I've never done it to be really clear. Um, but the biggest work is the integration that happens for weeks and months afterwards, right? And that's the piece that I do. 
without the, without the drugs. I have a friend who said, I, um, um, excuse me, no client. She said, I feel like I went through a mushroom trip throughout my childhood just now. And that's the thing is the present moment is where the healing needs to happen. And that's where the young parts of ourselves, if they're unresolved, they like hang out in the present moment. You've emphasized the importance of going slow and that's not our culture. And I know that if somebody's feeling stuck, the last thing they want to hear is like, take it slow. So is there a workaround? Can't we just like muscle through it? Tell me, tell me why it has to be slow. (laughs) What I can say is it's, it's a bit of a paradox because getting into the body is catalytic work. Right. And so you can speak to this. I can speak to this. There's a moment when you get in and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was here. And it's your life changes in a good way. In an instant, the door opens to you just becoming more of yourself. So there's a catalytic moment where you're going to get if you're feeling stuck. I promise you, if you sit down in front of me and you're feeling stuck, you will feel different in one session. And just like the the trip, right? And the integration of that will be little tiny bites of things that you do differently, slowly, bit by bit by bit. But that's when like the traction really begins of creating the version of yourself that you want to, to become. It is bit by bit, you know, step by step by step. We don't walk a mile in one step. We walk a mile in however many steps that takes. And this it's the same thing with change. Um, so it's both it's rapid and, um, incremental both happen in different ways. And I love how you have always stressed the importance of resourcing, which you use that word differently than I had heard it before meeting you. Um, a lot of people might call it self-care, but self-care can, can get kind of, um, superficial. So I love that. I love how you talk about the importance of resourcing. And I think that this plays into how those big changes can happen fast if the Mm. resourcing is in place all along, because like we discussed, then you're also helping to um, like nourish your nervous system as you're, as you're doing all this kind of hard integration. Yeah. The way I describe it is like building up a well of well-being, which really gets to a lot of what you do too with your coaching is um, just those habits, right? Those, those beneficial habits, not like the default habits Um, and being more aware of, of, I just think if we can be more intentional with how we, you know, move through the world and what, what we bring into our bodies and minds and eye gates and ear gates and all of that, um, we would realize the ways that we're doing the opposite of resourcing most of the time. So when we're intentional about building up that well of well-being, that's life-changing. That alone, sometimes that alone is the healing. Um, Because like, for example, the perfectionism, bringing it full circle, that inner critic, if it's like chattering in your ear, that's a lifetime of that. You got to be really intentional about reversing course And as long as it took to wire that in, it won't take as long because you've shining the light of awareness on it, but it also won't happen overnight. And so I think it is good to have reasonable expectations with anything like this, that it does take time. And that's why I'm a great compliment to talk therapy because it's like, okay, I've been talking for a while. I've got a good self-concept, you know, sense of who I am and where I've been and what my story is. And, and then right? I, I'm clear on my stuff. Now what? It's like, okay, now let's get into the body. And it's a different journey. It doesn't take as long. 
but it's, it's a lifestyle change, mm. lifestyle change. And that's really where our work dovetails because we're both teaching those beneficial habits that will set you up for life if you keep doing them. Yeah. I love that you brought up the inner critic, which we haven't talked about at all. And it's such a huge part of the work you do and what holds us back. I don't know if women have louder inner critics than men, but I work predominantly with women. So that's my, that's my landscape. Um, I thought I was aware of my inner critic. I mean, I thought I had a great mindfulness practice and was aware of my thoughts. And it's a lot like um, nervous system regulation is that it, you gets like more granular and more granular. The inner critic is a very strong driver. And I think without having awareness, it's what's driving our bus often, right? Yeah. And if you think about it, the same way that you learned to drive is the way you learned to take action. So the inner critic isn't just some disembodied thing. It's deeply integrated into who we are mm -hmm. and how we don't take action. So it's a set of behaviors and beliefs that change our impulse. It hems our impulse mm -hmm. in to even do the thing. So it's, it's hardwired in and it needs conscious attention to start to pull it out. So you're right. It is, it, it's hanging out in the unconscious. And so there's a phenomenon that happens where it gets louder before it goes away. And that's the part that, you know, when somebody's like, Oh, it's just so loud. I'm like, good. Because now this is like, it's a sign that it's about to extinguish. Um, but that takes, that takes a lot of noticing before it goes away. So meditation is really important to start to tune into what's happening under the hood. That's our, that's our doorway into understanding the 90% of our thinking that's not conscious. It floats up when we're connecting our body and mind in meditation or in yoga. If you've ever been in a yoga pose and like funny stuff comes up, like, like, have you ever cracked yourself up in a yoga class? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like that's like our wise self our funny self like it's like our most joyful self just bubbling up and being like what up like now that you aren't paying attention I'm gonna make you laugh or, or and you can hear the the funny self the wise self there's so many parts of us active at all times the funny self the wise self and the critical self that's like so you're in this pose and you're like hating on the teacher because you're in the you know revolved uh crescent lunge like you just want to get out of uh out of that pose and so there's a party that's like really loud and it's those moments in mindfulness whether it's in yoga in meditation um running like whatever allows you to be mindful where you're going to get access to parts of you like the inner critic mm -hmm. that part kept us safe and so it's it's going to hang on until we learn to be safe in new ways and I think that's an important point to bring up just as we're wrapping up here. I have a few more questions I want to ask you, but um, the point about being safe, I think, and, and knowing that there was a positive intention, I think is really important for people who are listening, who haven't done this work, that you might be listening to this and be extra annoyed with your inner critic or extra annoyed with the ways that you're being held back. And I think first, it's important to know that those parts were created to keep you safe mm. in the way that we knew at that point, at that age, to be kept safe. And so it's really just has the best of intentions. <clears throat> and that doesn't mean those intentions are still positive and effective. And that's why Rebecca's work is amazing, because she can help rewire that. But the um, 
but to not hate those parts that feel frustrating is a really good first step, but just to be curious rather than judgmental. I have a frustration reframe. Mm, okay. okay. If you're frustrated, it's a good sign that you're ready to change. Oh, nice. The bottom is the top. Like the bottom is when you hit, when you bottom out with something, that's the moment that you're actually leveling up. It's really more of like a platform for growth. And so I, I'm, I think you can tell, I'm saying that straight from my heart that, that, you know, any, when, whenever you feel alone, whenever you feel frustrated, whenever you feel that just like shit is just falling apart, that's a moment to look at it sideways and understand the bottom is the top. The bottom is a platform for something else. Tell me if you had like one, like health tip or wellness tip or, you know, practice for well-being that you think everybody should practice. I know that's very general, but if you could just choose one thing, what would you recommend? I'm going to say something I, I wasn't expecting to say. Okay. But it just bubbled up from my, from my heart. Curiosity. Hmm. Because it's impossible to be judgmental and curious at the same time. Yeah. And when we're curious, we're present and we're present to what is. And so if we can be, if we can be curious, it's the gateway to everything that is growth oriented and healing oriented and wellness oriented. So I would say your best wellness habit is um, staying curious. And that also allows you to not stay stuck with old wellness habits. I sit down every morning and I do a slightly different meditation. I sit down with curiosity of, I wonder what I need today. So yeah, I would say curiosity. I love that. That's my favorite answer so far. That's good. Yeah, I, I didn't expect to say it. So genius. <laughs> I tried right to there. stay curious. <laughs> my other question for you is the one I've been asking all of my guests. And that is, um, do you have a morning routine? And if so, what does it look like? Oh yeah. Okay. So I, I've joked that like, I don't even know which I'm doing because of which uh, anymore, but um, I always try to drink hot water with lemon in the morning. Um, and so my routine is very practical. You know, I brush my teeth first thing uh, and brush my tongue so that when I drink water, I'm not drinking yesterday's stuff that accumulated in my mouth. So it's an Ayurvedic kind of a thing. Um, and I'm brushing my teeth while my water's boiling for my coffee and my hot water with lemon. And I take my pup out while that's steeping. And then uh, it's so practical and pragmatic. Um, and then while my hot water with lemon is still cooling, I sit and meditate. And that's where it's like, I don't know if I'm meditating to wait for my water to cool or if I'm drinking the hot water because I'm meditating. Like those two just go really well together. So after I sit and meditate for anywhere between five and 20 minutes, whatever I feel like, um, then I sit and just enjoy my hot water with lemon. And then I move to a different room and have coffee and maybe FaceTime with my two sisters for some social connection resourcing or just connection with me, sit and journal. Um, I've done my best to just arrange my morning so that I have a lot of spaciousness. So that morning routine, the pith of it is really only 20 to 30 minutes of puttering and meditating, but then the sitting with the coffee could be 10 minutes to an hour, right? Mm -hmm. um, and eventually it's a move, some movement, some, you know, some push-ups, some taking a walk, some yoga, something like that. Moving my body makes that morning routine complete. I, I, I resource my routine really is in service to others. Like that's a big piece of it is like, I can show up better when I'm more resourced. Well, then I'm super grateful for your resourcing practice because it has served to benefit me tremendously. Yeah. Thank you. 
and you know it takes two right like you're receptive to all the things so it's a delight it's a delight to be in this exchange with you tell everybody where they can find you sure um the best place to find me is on instagram i'm rebecca b coaching i'm sure you'll put all of that in the notes but the b is bee for my little totem uh, rebeccabcoaching.com um, and I do offer a free healing audit. If anybody is listening and wants to just understand, uh, what the healing territory might look like for them without, uh, any sort of obligation, uh, you can reach out to me and set that up with me. Cool. I'll put a link. <clears throat> I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time here. It's been fantastic. If you're still listening, thanks so much for sticking around. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass along to a friend. You can help others find this podcast more easily by taking a moment to rate and review. And if you're curious what it's like to work with me or just want to learn more about the work I do in optimizing your own wellness, head to my website, emilygeiser.com. You can connect with me directly on Instagram at emilygeiser. Links for those are in the show notes. I'll be back next week and hope you will be too. Until then, think good thoughts and go for them.